You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Our desire is to honor and share the best parts of the Christian contemplative traditions so that this collective wisdom might serve the flourishing of humanity, all beings, and all of creation. My name is Ben Kesey, and I lead the development team at the Center for Action and Contemplation. I want to thank all of you who are generous donors giving freely and cheerfully to make this work possible. If you've been impacted by these podcast conversations and are inspired to invest in the future of CAC's mission and work, twice per year, we invite your financial support. To contribute, go to cac.org donate to make a gift. Thank you so much. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome everyone to our dialogue about session four with Jim Finlay. Thanks for being here, Jim. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good. I have listened to that session a few times. It, it, it goes deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was struck by at one point where you talk about uh, John of the Cross is trying to explain the unexplainable. Yeah. And uh, so today I'll be asking for further explanation from you of the, un- the- <laughs> unex- of the unexplainable. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I'm all ready. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. What we'll, we'll see. <laughs> okay. So, Jim, we're still focusing on the active night. John of the Cross talks about an active night and a passive night, and we're still talking about the active night. Um, But you go back and forward in the talk because they always operate together. Is that, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. We're always talking about it's essentially passive and that it happens to us, like we're touched we're quickened or we're accessed by the presence of God we don't understand. So in that sense, it's passive. But then since love is never imposed but always offered, we freely cooperate with it, which is the active night. So in the Santa Mount Carmel Book 1, how does that occur in the senses, being gratified through the senses? And now we're t- moving into Book 2 on what's the active night of the intellect. See, so how do we pass into a knowledge of God beyond concepts, beyond under conceptual understanding beyond words the, mm-hmm. the the naked darkness of faith and how do we how do we cooperate with that process let's say you know he starts the sentimental karma on the prologue saying that uh, what he wants to share with us is how we find our way to divine union with god uh, insofar as possible on this earth through love so it's, it's, it's an obscure realization of heaven. That is, it's not the fullness of glory, but in some obscure way, although still on this earth, uh, we can have this intimate realization of God beyond thought, an, an infinite union with the infinite, and so on. And so he says, in order for this to occur, we undergo this dark night. And the dark night is that we're first given a taste of divine union, like a moment of awe or a moment of oneness. And really, we're kind of, uh, it's dark because we're blinded by the infinity of the light. Like it, bl- it overwhelms our finite eyes. Mm-hmm. 
But once we get a taste of it, once we get a taste of oneness, we long for it. But then we realize that what's holding us back is we're attached to our finite ways of experiencing God's infinite oneness with us. That is, God in my beliefs, God in my consolations, God in my aspirations, God in, and so on. And that's, that's important and efficacious unto holiness. It's our life. But because it's finite, uh, we have to move beyond that. But then we discover that we're attached to it. <laughs> it's, it's familiar territory. Yeah. And so God helps us out by weaning us off dependency on that ability to be nurtured and consoled in those ways by simply taking away the ability to be consoled. Mm. And in that poverty, if we don't panic, we just wait for God, there can slowly start to emerge then uh, these, these intimations of this infinite union with God. And, and so the, the, uh, once we've gotten a taste and we realize God's tugging at our heart in this way, the active night are the ways we cooperate with that. Mm -hmm. So in the Ascent of Mount Carmel, Book 1, he talks about being gratified through the senses, through pleasure and touch. And we realize that the gratifications don't gratify because they're finite. You know, the pleasure washes over us, it touches us, we see it. But, uh, and therefore, we have, to be, we have to go beyond that. So how do we cooperate moving beyond these finite to enter into it? And uh, those ways of actively choosing that is the active night of the senses. And so now he's, um, uh, he's talking about the active night of the intellect through faith. It's still the active night. But it's the active night in this sense we realize that uh, this is this image of the latter, person born blind and so on. We realize that uh, uh, we know God through faith, that God is eternal, that God is love, that God is infinite, God's revealed in Christ. And it's true, faith comes through hearing. See? But we realize too that these are finite ways of knowing the infinite mystery of God. And so God weans us off and calls us out beyond these finite ways into the, into the darkness of faith. So he's moving now from the senses and gratification in book one, and he's moving now into the intellect, like our knowledge of God, our knowledge of ourself in the presence of God. And uh, what's the passive touch, and how do we actively cooperate mm -hmm. uh, with that? So that's where we are now in the realm of experiential knowledge of God. Just to help us understand what John of the Cross means when he says the intellect, because uh, he talks about hearing, yeah. words, understanding. What? How would you define that? Yes, that's a good good distinction to make. I think. Let's say at one level, the intellect means what in our, our times today is what we tend to think that it means. That is, my intellect are my customary ways of knowing. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I, I hear something, and through my intellect, there's an extent to which I understand what I heard. And in that understanding of what I've heard, I move with those understandings. And so it's a reflective process. It's how do I understand and know things, conceptual reflective consciousness that allows us to talk and communicate with each other, and so on.
And so at one level, that has to do with facts. Like, I, I, I understand what time it is, I know what day it is, and so on. But as it gets more interior, for example, when we begin to deeply love and be loved by someone, it's a kind of a knowing but not that we adequately understood as a series of facts about what we know. There's a kind of an interior kind of knowing that goes beyond the ideas of the love. And John of the Cross is starting to head in that direction. See? And so he's saying that, like Bernard Larnigan says, uh, the thing about knowing God is it's much closer to falling in love than it is to proving something. See? So it's a heart knowledge like intimately, no, intimately known. See? And having tasted the heart knowledge intimately known of a depth of love beyond which I can adequately find words for, he's leading us in that direction, that kind of interior knowing, which is, opens out upon God's infinite knowing of us. See, And we meet God in the depths of knowing, beyond thought, beyond words. But we start somewhere, so John of the Cross is using words. He's writing a book. But they're poetic words that keep pointing to and giving examples of these intimate modes of knowing that are more fulfilling. And he's trying to lead us down that path. Does our faith follow that path? So does our faith shift from this this sense of faith through ideas into the deeper faith of, yes. of what you're describing? Yeah, it starts this way. It's, it's the distinction traditionally in the Christian tradition between belief and faith, so I the see. creed. And so they say belief is the sign of faith. So I believe in God, the Father, Almighty Creator, all the t teachings of Scripture and so on. And that's, that's, that's belief. But we're not saved by belief, we're saved by faith. And so the belief is an external sign through the words. Let's all stand and recite the creed. But the creed is a way of putting words to the faith knowledge of how we know God in our heart. It's like an obscure certainty in our heart that God is with us, that God loves us, that God guides us. And that's our faith. We learn to live by faith, this obscure certainty of God's oneness. And the creed expresses it. So we start somewhere, so we start with words. But then the words beg the question, see, what is that, how do I get down to the core of what the words just said? So one person says to another, I love you. The other person hears it and believes the person, I believe you, see. But how together can we find our way to experiencing what those words mean, that I love you? Otherwise, it's just words. Yeah. So he's saying what we're really thirsting for is this depth of communal faith, this deep heart knowledge that the words point to or invite. So how do we get beyond the words into the unitive mystery the words are about? Yes, yes. That's really helpful. Thank you. And John of the Cross uh, starts us off by using a ladder or in, in the session you start us off by pointing to the way John of the Cross uses the ladder Yes. As as an image of stepping through belief into faith, is that yes? The image I use because uh, I'm, I'm quoting him, beginning of the ascent, and I talk about it as a waking dream, in which is the middle of the night. There's a full moon, and in this big vast field, uh, you see a ladder that goes from earth to heaven, and each rung of the ladder is an article of faith, the creed. 
So I believe in God, Father Almighty, and so on. And so we put our foot on the first rung. Uh, who am I? How do I understand who I am in the presence of God? And believe in God. I have an understanding of God. And then uh, so on, so on, so on. So when you go on and on and on, and you're way up there above the clouds holding on to the articles, it suddenly dawns on you that you don't know what any of those things mean. <laughs> See? And that's where he gives the example of the person born blind. If you, they would know through faith comes through hearing, so they would know through faith the color yellow exists. Being born blind, they'd have no substantial knowledge of what yellow is. He said, this is the way it is with God. We, we hear that God loves us. By analogy, by loving us, we know something. But the, what we know love to be compared to the infinite love that is God, we don't know what it means. As a matter of fact, everything we can know, he says, bears no likeness to what it is. So the question then is, how do I then kind of annoying would say, they're kind of unknowing. How can I, through the nakedness of faith, be led by God beyond my ideas of God into intimate realizations of the infinite, like an infinite oneness or the infinite presence of God in the obscurity of faith in my heart? See, Like I know it, I know it, I know that I know it. See? But I, I know it unexplainably. See? It's, it's ineffable. Uh, uh, what mystic says is, it's ineffably comprehensible. <laughs> in other words, people of faith understand talk like this. It's alluding to something. They know this is true. But neither one would claim they could adequately explain what it is that they understand. But the language somehow embodies it. It's similar to listening to poetry, in a way. It's a, so he's inviting us to recalibrate our mind into this more interior way of knowing and how to deepen it. How important is the knowing piece that, that we're, as we're going up the ladder, we, you talked about wrestling with who I am, who God is, and how, how important are those pieces in the journey? Well, I think we were saying in a previous session, Merton was talking, Thomas Merton was talking to the novices about monastic life the silent life. And he said one of the great things about monastic life is freedom from the need to understand. So we, we, uh, we kind of start out with a kind of an understanding because we, we start somewhere. Yeah. Then as we get into it, as we get these little glimmers of the presence of God, see, we start to see the inadequacy of those initial understandings. So that if even if I were capable of defining it, by the very fact I could define it, it would mean it would be infinitely less of what I'm trying to understand. So there's a deeper way to understand what it means to understand. And it comes by being attentive, uh, sustained attentiveness infused with love, by being humble, by being patient. And there's a kind of a quiet descent into qualitatively deeper ways of knowing the presence of God's oneness with the presence of myself in faith. And so he's, he's guiding us in how to be more habitually um, sensitive to and faithful to those subtle realms where this union occurs, this divine mm -hmm. union. Because yeah. a lot of people think just learning, learning, learning more is, is the way to 
understand more or um, grasp more. And what John of the Cross is saying is that uh, some learning is good, but if you cling to what you've learned or you grasp what you've learned uh, as the as facts or as as complete truth, it's it's going to keep you from finding the infinite knowing that you're looking for. Yes. An example we were using in an earlier session also is that imagine that uh, for a long time um, you've been blessed with this very deep love relationship with someone. And someone would ask you to explain what it is that you and your love for this person see in this person. And... Um, you know that, uh, and you, you don't know what to say. And you also know that anything you could say wouldn't be what you know. And your heart breaks when you try. That's a good image, I think, where mm -hmm. John of the Cross is leading us. Whereas let's, yes. let's take, take a poet, like someone who's really a gifted poet, mm -hmm. and they seek the poetry, we're blessed to hear the poetry. And you ask the poet, would you please explain in definable terms what poetry is. See? Or would you please explain for us how do you do that? And why do you do that? And what do you, they, 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 uh, it isn't that there isn't a theory of literature, theory of, because there is, up to a point that helps, it's important. But uh, John Cage says the, 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 the artist doesn't get down to business in a serious way until they get to the point they no longer know what they're doing. See? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of in water over your head, and it starts becoming unexplainably clear. See, I'm moving with things that I discern and sense the depth or the beauty of, and I'm less and less able to adequately explain to anybody, including myself, what it is that's becoming so clear to me. Mm -hmm. And so John the Cross is inviting us to be comfortable with that. Notice he moves back to the explainable because he knew theology. His sentences are very clear. He knew the importance of clarity. But it's kind of that uh, conceptual clarity in the service of this deeper clarity. See, so it's not muddled thinking or vague thinking, but everything he says is a metaphor for something ultimately unexplainable. But it shimmers or shines in the tonal quality of how he uses words. Mm-hmm. And then as we listen to him, the death from which he's speaking has the power to cause that same death in us to resonate. Yes. And we can tell something in us is being spoken to. Yeah. It's hard to explain. But the very fact it touches us, it bears witness that somehow we already know what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And he's helping us to find words for it. See, like a, like a meeting encounter with it, Yeah. And then every now and then he, he will say something that's, that uh, kind of stops you with, it sounds a little harsh or a little, like I like this one where he says, all the world's wisdom is ignorance in God's sight. Yeah. <clears throat> but he is trying to help us because we're so locked into these habits of trying to understand, of, of, uh, yeah. of knowing the ways we know finitely. Is, is he trying to shock us a little bit out of those ways yeah i'm trying to think of an example um of uh, of this L let's say um we're moving forward through our life and in some kind of strident way 
Yeah. I'll give an example. I was once working in psychotherapy with an attorney. He was a very successful attorney. And um, he was very driven by it. And, he, was, uh, and uh, he had a massive heart attack. And he was hospitalized for a long time and was coming to see me. He was in for therapy. And he thought the heart attack saved his life. Mm. Because he serendipitously stumbled into something that he was running roughshod over. Mm. And he... he It'd be, it'd be precisely what can't be explained, what can't be attained. But without it, life makes no sense. See? Mm. And so I think uh, John of the Cross is trying to help us to see. It's almost, he's really, in a way, trying to give us some poetic sense about what it's like to die and see God. So you spend the first uh, 10 trillion years slack-jawed. You know, you're just <laughs> you know, it's like ten years of silence because you're you're immersed and surrounded by this oceanic depth that from all eternity has been infinitely in love with you, and you're in that destiny. And then Gregory of Nyssa says, then just when you're starting to get a handle on it, God pulls a lever and starts all over again. See? So it's a free fall. It's an abyss-like free fall into this bottomless abyss welling up, and it touches you in a way that, that, that silences you. So you're not mm. silent because you choose to be silent. It's the silence in which you're silenced. Mm. And yet you don't know what to say, and yet the very thing you don't know what to say is the very thing in some deep inner way that you know, where you know that the love knows you. And he's calling that faith. Mm. He's calling that faith. That makes sense. This is yes. So he's really um, gently trying to um, uh, shift our perspective into this more heartfelt. Yes. Yeah. And and unearth definitions that we might not be conscious of to get to these deeper experiences. Yes, I I, I put it this way too, and I want to just in the next talk too, and talk about the dark night. Another way to put it to my mind is say any time, whether it be lovers in their marital union with each other, or a mother or father with their child, or an artist given over to the art, or the poet to poetry, the musician to music, or service to the community, what is it that is so um, accessed you that um, it's laid claim on your heart? And the only thing you can do is surrender yourself over to it as a mystery. And uh, that living in that way, kind of obediential fidelity, to be an unexplainably accessed by the unexplainable, see, that you seek to live by and walk in and breathe and so on. He, he's talking about that. Mm -hmm. It's like that is, it's like meeting him for spiritual direction. And you, it is not, you, you might take your notepad with you to take notes. You could talk with them, and you could ask questions and jot it down. But really, he'd be sitting with you in a way, you'd feel you're in the presence of someone with whom it was completely safe to try to express to him a desire you don't know how to find words for. Mm. And as you sincerely try, he would sense in the depth of your sincerity, he'd hear the question your heart is asking and doesn't know how to say, and he would meet mm. you there. 
see mm-hmm. if that makes sense to put it that way. Yeah. And so I think yeah. is reading is that way too. Or it's not a consumer mentality. It isn't so we get like a self help book for would be mystics. You know, yes. a ten point plan. I think I got it. it, it <laughs> it's 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 what it is. It's unexplainably uh, drawing you to lean into it, and surrender to it, that it might transform you into itself, in your simplicity, your sincerity. Like that is this, uh, it's like unexpectedly close. Yes. And I think he, that's the poetics of it, I think. Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. He talks about the need to darken the intellect or the knowledge of faith is lost. And yeah. I guess this is what we've been talking about. So it's it's not um, it, 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 we, we won't be rid of the intellect. I like the word darken. It's like it's it's just not the 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 brightest thing that we're yes. orienting to. Yeah, it, darken. It certainly doesn't mean to negate, mm-hmm. because conceptual knowledge of anything in a depth is a gift from God. God creates that knowledge. So to darken doesn't mean that, but I, he, John of the Cross says this, he said, we should not cherish what we understand about God, but we should cherish what we don't understand. Mm. Because what we do understand is finite. What we don't understand is infinite. So we darken it, we don't negate it, but we hold it in abeyance. Mm-hmm. And we move beyond, it's no longer our base of operations. See. Like even this, like reading John of the Cross or Merton or these mystics, the longer you stay with it, the clearer it gets. You know, you familiarize yourself with it. But the very familiarity of it is a constant call to uh, the crust of the wave where you take the internalized familiarity and you keep it in the background. See, for the yet deep, see, Thomas Merton, um, uh, you who sleep in my breast are not met with words. But within dispossession, within dispossession, see, you've dispossessed me of my ability to explain myself in your presence. And then when I've gotten used to being dispossessed, you've dispossessed my dispossession. See, you're constantly, I'm serendipitously falling forward so you can hold me and catch me in my ability to understand what's happening to me. And I'm learning to trust that. Uh, to me, that's, that's what it means to darken. Yes. Uh, Car- you know, yeah. Sigmund Freud is interesting in, 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 the, in psychoanalysis. He says the analyst is to put aside all theoretical notions and assumptions about psychology, about anything. And the unconscious mind of the analyst should kind of lean out and just listen, see, to what the person in the anal- in analysis is saying. Mm-hmm. And their two unconscious minds touch each other. And the therapist waits for the moment to put words to interpret the process. So we're always passing beyond explanations with deep respect for explanations. Yes. Because we're talking about how to intimately realize what's unexplainable, which is God, really. Yes. That's really helpful, Jim. Thank you. Can you... uh, talk in a little bit more detail about the thimble in the ocean example that you gave yeah you touched on it quite quickly but it, it's a yes I'd, li- I'd like to sit with the image a little longer yes 
See, let, let's. Uh, uh, Dan Walsh once said in the, in the monastery in, in metaphysics and medieval philosophy. He says, um, he said we must pass beyond subjectivity. Uh, he said we must pass beyond objectivity, the factual. We must pass beyond subjectivity. We must find our way to trans-subjectivity, which is the interdivine life of God as Trinity in us. We're subsisting relations, subsisting in the subsisting relations. So what happens is that I kind of start out as if I'm the thimble, mm -hmm. and here's the scriptures and here are the mystics. And if I keep studying the mystics and outline the mystics and study scripture, I can keep internalizing this knowledge of God. I can, I can get a doctorate in it, become a godologist. And, <laughs> uh, and, and it's real knowledge, too. There's a history of these ideas. It's like this. See? But, to, but to realize that the, for all the astuteness of our mind, this finite mind, the real issue is that if I think of it instead as I'm this thimble, so I can't get the ocean into the thimble. There's a story in St. Augustine. He was, he was working on De Trinitate, on his work on the Trinity. He was one of the first people to forge it as a theology. And there's a kind of a, a, a story that he's walking along pondering the Trinity, and he sees a little boy uh, along the beach, and the little boy has put a hole in the sand. And he's going down to the water with a teaspoon and getting a teaspoon of ocean water and very carefully walking up, pouring it in the hole. Then Augustine watches him. He goes down and gets it and pours it. So finally he walks up and asks him, what are you doing? And he says, I'm trying to get the ocean into this hole. <laughs> and the, Augustine laughs. He says, well, you won't do it. And the little boy said, neither will you figure out the journey. And then he disappeared. See? See? <laughs> wow. And so the, the idea is that wow. instead of how do I understand it, Merton says, in the spiritual order, to be understood means to realize you're infinitely understood, is to understand. See, to understand means to realize that you're infinitely understood. In God, we live and move and have our being, even as we're talking right now. We're making our descent into this oceanic presence. And, uh, and so really, it's a certain point of conversion where instead of trying to accumulate, like, grasp it, grasp it, grasp it. Instead, there's a kind of a quiet surrender to an oceanic presence that has touched our heart. And um, we're opening ourselves to, like St. Teresa of Avila, we were saying, she says, you sit in the quiet, and God's like into water flowing into your soul like a basin. And she says, you realize your heart's being enlarged to divine proportions. That is the love that's flowing into you is metamorphosizing your heart to the proportions of the infinite love that's pouring into you. So the prayer becomes a surrender to that. And because John and Teresa knew each other so well, this is the mystic way really, it's a kind of a conversion experience where I struggle, struggle, struggle. And so what John of the Cross is saying, what the dark night is, God helps you out by taking away the ability to figure anything out. In other words, he said, as long as you, he says, someone who's uh, losing his eyesight but can see somewhat will resist guidance. But the person who's completely guided puts forth his hands and, see, and to be led. And so the night of faith is the deep realization of the poverty of anything I'm even capable of understanding compared to the 
it being infinitely understood by the infinite presence of God. And therefore, I freely choose to surrender to that, See, to be empty-handed and sit and wait. And uh, the transformation happens out of that. That imagery helps me to think of it in those ways. Yeah, yeah that's helpful. You talked about uh, the essence of the exploration, keep opening, that it keeps opening, and that faith passes beyond the frontiers of the intellect, but it does give us a sense of truth. Yeah. Uh, and you use words like mercy, love. Um, the, these are truths beyond what the intellect can comprehend. These are truths that we know through faith. Is, yes. Is that kind of the, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, we were starting the series out on John of the Cross, and he was in prison and taken out and being whipped and all this stuff. And he, he really kind of felt lost. Here, this church, he just got ordained, and here's the scripture professors whipping him. See, because for the reform, like, what sense does this make? You know? And uh, in that lost state, the poetry started flowing out. And uh, so he was imprisoned at one level, but in prison he found something within himself that could never be imprisoned, and it flowed out of his heart. And so you get the feeling, if you just sit like and read him out loud real slow, you know, you get the feeling of that spaciousness and what he's saying. It's 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 like it's more like listening to music than explaining something. He like tunes into a certain register and stays there. And if you're very patient with it and let it wash back over you and you sit with it, it's a kind of a more diffused, intimate, kind of slowly deepening knowledge of the unexplainable of the presence mm -hmm. of God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's when, when you're uh, going over that description of being imprisoned, it's almost like if we're not careful, we can be imprisoned by our intellect or by our senses. And so we're trying to let something flow that's beyond, beyond, beyond the intellect, the senses. Yeah. It's like Martin Buber, you know, and I and thou. He said, what a lot of people pass for dialogue is interrupted monologue. You're waiting <laughs> for the other person to finish you. You can keep making your point. And when you hear people arguing with each other, it keeps heating up. They don't even hear each other at all. They keep cutting each other off. So the depth of dialogue is a mutual willingness to change. And so we're in a kind of a dialogue with God. And really when I say it's freedom from ideological living, see it's freedom from closure in any system or any set of answers or any set of, it's like that. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's really helpful. So it's freedom from any sense of closure yeah. of, of any end point to what we could yeah. know, how much we could love, how much yeah. we could exactly. understand. Yeah. yeah. So no matter where I am in this process, it's a gift. You know how God's touched my life, my daily life, it's a gift. It's, it's to be changed. So we I say the infinite presence of God is infinitely present itself in and as where I am right now on the journey. But God, at the same time, God is infinitely more besides. It's, it's because God's inexhaustible. So my present level of sincerity, even say understanding this or experience, my present level of sincerity is God being poured out, manifested at this present level. 
I'm to be grateful for that. And, and God is that and always infinitely more besides. And for all eternity, it'll be like that. Mm-hmm. Then we realize we're participating in that, you know, or somehow the, the overflow of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, even with all the knowledge you have and all the years of experience meditating and being with Thomas Merton, do you, you still internally hold that open stance? Yes, I mean, I feel it's hard to explain. I feel that, I'm, I mean, I'm grateful for the years I've committed myself to this. I mean, it's changed my life, really, and Maureen and I both were committed to this. But when I speak about it with people, like I am right now, it's just, I get the feeling that it's um, it's like a flow of it's a it's a flow of unpremeditated words that somehow um, it's a kind of a sharing or a manifestation of or bearing witness to the clarity of it all the undefinable clarity of it all in a flow of words that uh, I, it's it's like that for me. Mm. But that's what it feels like. It, uh, yeah, it's kind of so. Even um, even in this teaching, even in this moment, your words are open to something. Yes, that you exactly. don't know that they it, could. It, they could. Yeah. Exactly, and that's why when I do this on live retreats, for example, or people in therapy, and you've been on some retreats with me this way too, these silent retreats, and at the end, when people ask questions, it's often, and it's what we're doing right now with it's a dialogue. And so there's something about these questions that are evoked out of listening to the talks. And the dialogue around the questions deepens the clarity about the questions. Do I mean? Because it engages us. It engages us. That's why it's a kind of a participatory communion with each other. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, like a sharing. Which, which in the end is what you're pointing towards all of life becoming. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes I tell people on the retreats, you know, these silent retreats, is why did we come here this weekend to be here like to sit in silence and sittings? And um, that that we came here so that everything we're experiencing here, we can go home realizing it was already there in our own living room. You know what I mean? It's already there. And what happens when you wake up in the middle of the night? Or what happens, and you like that? We're trying to be more attuned to what alone is ultimately there, which is this generosity of presence as our life, and we're trying to get acclimated to it or be supple or kind of in a state of oneness with it, which is the path. And that's what John of the Cross is. All these mystics, see, they're trying to help us along that path in which this occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You said something very provocative at the end, towards the end of the session, around uh, can I learn to join God in God's understanding of me, who who God understands me to be, and then you deepened it and said, can I join God helping me to understand God's way of understanding God? Yeah. Is that the sense of the... The the active what we're trying to do actively is to yeah. to uh, join God helping me to understand. That's right. That's right. So let's say the first level is I, I I what I realize is that what matters the most really 
isn't who my father understood me to be, or my mother understood me to be, or my brother, or my sister, or my pastor, or my boss. The deepest level isn't who I understand me to be. The deepest level is who does God understand me to be? Because poetically, from all eternity, see, God the Father, God his mother, God his origin, is eternally contemplating me in Christ the Word, hidden with Christ in God forever. He, which is the unborn me that never never began, because God never, never, never has not known who I am and called to be. This is the unborn me, and the me that was never born is the me that will never die. And since everything in God is God, this is the divinity of me. So how by divesting myself and moving out beyond the frontiers of thought, the frontiers of my, how can I start joining God and who God knows me to be, which is liberation, it's enlightenment or mystical, whatever the metaphor is. But then I say, uh, if I join God and who God knows me to be, it goes further because who God knows me to be is who I'm called by God to be in sharing who God knows God to be. And um, see, uh, how, how can I learn to know God with God's own knowledge of God, which is Christ? And how can I learn to love God with God's love of God, which is the Holy Spirit? So this is the divinity of me, which is our destiny. See, this infinite generosity that creates us to completely share itself with us unexplainably as destiny. And that's the path. I mean, that's where all this is headed. And <laughs> I like that. Then I think yeah. also, you then realize in these incremental realizations of that, that that infinite presence is infinitely pressing itself in and as your present degree of realizing it. So to intimately realize where you are right now. It's like a certain moment with the beloved or with a child or a sunset. There's a certain moment of amazement as something that's somehow already unexplainably present, you know, in an Azure presence. It isn't like, I hope I get there in time before the buzzer goes off. I don't know if I ever figured this out. But the very sincerity of your desire to this is itself infinite love incarnating itself as your desire to realize this. And that's what's holy, I think, is that. What's also holy is our inability to realize it is holy, because we're mm -hmm. infinitely loved in our inability to realize it. You know, so. <laughs> you you talked about Jesus uh, having this way of of seeing and being with people that c kind of was a, a, an infused expression of yes. what you're talking about. Yes, exactly. I said that the the healing stories of the Gospels. Mm -hmm. Jesus saw that the source of the person's suffering it wasn't that they couldn't see or couldn't walk or they were a leper or their daughter died, whatever it is. He, he saw that it was, and he met that suffering. He met them there. But the healing story is that he saw the real root of suffering as they thought they were what was wrong with them. See? That's what we're trying to find out. How can I learn not to let the conditions in which I find myself determine the foundational condition of my heart. And so in a moment of encounter with Jesus, reflected in his eyes, they saw his true face before they were born. And so that's the true miracle, see? That's the true miracle. And uh, so he said, in some way, we've all had a taste of that. You know, we've all had a taste of wonder, 
says uh, something, but it's elusive. See? So John the Cross says, what is the path where we can be habituated in it? In the ground of our body, the ground of our mind. And this is the path he's marking out for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think about Jesus if he had a dark night the way John of the Cross describes. He, he, he did, but he freely chose to enter it in the crucifixion. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, he freely, we lose our faith. We get so overwhelmed. We, we lose, uh, and he freely chose to be so overwhelmed he lost God, see? which means that God is unexplainably present in our lost hour because he became that. And then he handed himself over to the God he could no longer find. Into your hands I commend my spirit. See? And uh, so he did that. He joined us. And this is when I do deep trauma work with people, too. Where this is in deep AA recovery work also. In, in a moment, precisely because it got so dark. See, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness grasp it not. Precisely because it got so dark, the gentle light shining within it revealed itself to us like that. And uh, as that light leads us out of the darkness, we come out and realize something was given to us there. Just when everything was lost, that which can never be lost found me. And uh, I think that happens a lot, really, for all of us in different ways. Yeah. I can hear the constructions yeah, around yes, you yes. again. <laughs> Uh, well, I haven't got too many more questions, but just uh, going back to that image of Jesus uh, with the other, in that uh, sense, you, I mean, you talked about, it was so helpful for me when you said, we can't see the love between ourselves and the other, even though we have faith that it's there, and we can't see the way the person interiorly loves us we can't see what's going on inside of them but we can feel that it's there and i just wondered in the example of the way jesus was with people how that how that translated yes i think that's a helpful for me that helps let's say two people father mother sister brother lover husband wife let's say there's two people and they, there is a deep love for each other the thing is in the mutual awareness of their love for each other they don't directly see the love in which they feel so fortunate to live in with each other. Yet even though they don't see it, they somehow do see it. And they see it shining out from the gestures of love, the words of love. And then when the beloved returns the favor and lets us know they see that in us, so they're mutually seeing in each other, but neither one sees. See, they're right because it's always hidden. It's like fontal. It's hidden, but they see it flowing unexplainably into the concreteness of their loving expressions towards each other, like incarnate infinity. But they know they need to never latch hold of the expressions which come and go. They always have to keep the aperture of their heart open, see, so that this. This, uh, flow, this flowing love can keep perpetuating itself through the ongoing gestures and recognitions. And so they're always living by what they don't comprehend, but they comprehend it incomprehensibly. That is, they live yes. by the knowledge of love. See, I know it, I know it, I know that I know it. And that's our homeland, and God, God's the infinity of that. See, It's like that. It's, the thing is, we're just not used to 
It's not theoretical. We're just not used to trying to put words to this. That's what John the Cross is trying to help us do. He said, be patient. And we're trying to slow things way down enough to start to put words to something in our heart we know is true, but mm -hmm. we tend to forget. See? And uh, there's this, this meditative mind. See? And then we try to habituate that through the day. Yeah. And do you think... Um the the people that Jesus came across when Jesus interacted with people, he was so infused with that kind of sense of the infinite love that um, that the people just experienced that in a moment. Yes, so say poetically that he he spent all nights in prayer in his oneness with God, which was his very identity. He who sees me sees the Father, and then he walked out roaming the earth looking for people looking for suffering. And he saw the root of suffering is a traumatized capacity to live in what we're talking about. And then I think who these saints are, like John of the Cross, is that I was, when I was with Merton, it, like it can change your life to be in the presence of a holy person. And because it's just somebody, it's like Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, you realize that it's like you get the feeling they no longer have a life. But somehow they have found what all life is about. And so when you're in their presence, it is, it's like they are what they say. You know, they are what they say. And then you realize it's your invitation to do likewise. It's, it's your invitation then to surrender and become, because deep down you are that too. So you're trying to be healed from all that hinders from you from being habituated in what you unexplainably are, because God loves you, you see. I loved your uh, final section where you talked about the the person meditating and they started levitating and God <laughs> says that's not, that's great, but that's not what it's about. That's, and then, yeah, that's not the, the angels and the saints. And, that's not the, and uh, <laughs> it's so, uh, for me, like, uh, uh, really? Levitating sounds like I'd be pretty... Me, me too, I'll take it any day. <laughs> but by the way, here's a big point John of the Cross is making. If those, as like John Cross, if the moment you pay attention to those or seek them or get them, see, you remove yourself from the infinity of God. So the, the fullness of those, because it's finite, it's a finite fullness of the infinite. See, yes. That you dare not latch onto that and hold on to it. But he flips it around and says this, but just as the fullness of such experiences is infinitely less than the infinite, the absence of all those experiences is simply the absence of what alone is ultimately real. See, so the absence and the fullness are equal to each other. That's the point. So he's trying to dislodge us from these incremental attainments by also, and we're dislodged by it, by the deepening poverty to attain anything, which is the dark night. So we either despair or we go deeper. We despair or we go deeper. And in the dark, oh, night lovelier than the dawn. See, once I've been unraveled like this, then this light starts shining out of my life, but it's not a, a life that I have. See, it's, 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 it's the light of God shining out through my own heart and through my own. He has a lovely image where he says, imagine your chest is made of glass and a light shining out from your heart. You see everything in the light that's shining out from your heart. So if you hold anger in your heart, everything you see, you see something to be angry about. 
If you hold fear in your heart, you see something to be afraid of. But what if, what if the light that shines from our heart is this infinite light of love? Then everything we see mirrors back to us the infinite light of love. So he's trying to free us or extricate us from these um, things that, you know, are veils. That He's trying to have, have us to habituate us in that. So then we see everything in the light of that love, including the moment of our own death. You, including the sun moving across the sky. And, you know. That's beautiful. I feel like this talk is an encouragement too to uh, enter the, for the way we enter into your meditative talks and how, like that stand. We're not trying to understand everything you're saying and, and kind of grasp it with the intellect. It is that stance of trying to experience the um, the love that's flowing through it. And uh, you talk about when you first read John of the Cross, there was when you read one of the quotes in this last session, and I could hear in your voice, you said, oh, when I first read this, it really got to me. And that, you know, that sense of something unexplainable <laughs> yeah. happened in that. That's really true. That's the key to this, I think. See, that's why I think, say you read St. John of the Cross, what you're looking for is the one-liners that get to you. Okay? And then you just stop. Because that's the touchstone with everything that he says, and you're like, you see, with it. and the more you stay with it, the more frequent those moments become. And as you connect the dots, it forms a path. But in the beginning, we're not used to this. I, I mentioned that once after a talk that I gave on this, someone came up after the talk said they were trying to take notes, you know, keep up. He said, "Do you have any suggestions on how to drink out of a fire hose?" In other words, <laughs> it's just like. And I said, yeah. but if you notice, the talks have no content. <laughs> when you really listen, because if they did, it'd be one more talk about something. Yeah. And what if it's poetry in blank verse see, uh, that opens our heart to intimations of the unexplainable, which is God's oneness with us in our life. And that's the power of these, these teachings, I think. You know, they embody it, where they draw us into realizing it. And, learning to live by it. Yeah. Just a note to end on, I was encouraged. There was a moment where you um, where you said, and we'll never ever get there to the, yeah. to the full <laughs> understanding of the infinite, but we can pause right now yeah. um, yeah, yeah. and ask God to help us see that God's infinitely in love with us as we're, as we're speaking here right now. Yes, uh, that we won't live long enough to figure this out. <laughs> you know, because it's, well, it's all, we'll never, it's unfigureoutable, really. Yeah. But we can freely choose with childlike sincerity to be quietly present to how mysteriously it's already one with us. Yes. You know? And by sustaining that sincerity, the sincerity can become more and more stabilized like that. And I think that's the quality of the path, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. 
All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.